This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock. Welcome to a Friday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio, TGIF. And, uh, of course, Super Bowl this weekend. Everybody excited about that. uh, Of course, the Centers of Disease Control, the government asking people not to have big Super Bowl parties, uh, concerned about what they call super spreader events again, uh, you know, I, Hey, look, it is what it is, what it is at this point, you know, uh, it's just like at the holidays. Some people are going to, you know, calm it down. Other people are not, uh, younger people are going to have their parties, which is fine. I mean, look, you know, I, I would like to hope if you're going to have a party, you're at least going to do it safely. And I, I just think that it's, it's become increasingly difficult uh, to get people, uh, whether it's, I guess you call it COVID fatigue, whatever you want to call it. I think people have, have, even people that, like me, that have been doing the right thing and been wearing the mask and have been encouraging, you get to a point where, you know, sometimes you just have to say, you know, I, I, I got to go out. I got to go to dinner or I've got to, you know, I got to do something, you know, and so. Uh, and this is, you could make the argument that Super Bowl Sunday is second to, or, or third to only like Christmas and Thanksgiving in terms of holidays in this country. I mean, it should be a national holiday. It really should be. So, all right, we have, uh, speaking of the Super Bowl, we have Dan Zampano coming up at 930 to give us uh, his breakdown of the game. Uh, we're going to talk about the big quarterback swap that happened over the weekend. He'll give us his prediction and uh, so that'll be coming up at 9:30. We actually taped the interview last night, uh, so uh, but we'll have that. We'll run that at 9:30 this morning. Um, Senator Chris Murphy from the state of Connecticut, along with Lori Trahan from Massachusetts, uh, introduced legislation yesterday on Capitol Hill about uh, allowing college athletes to profit from their name, their image, and their likeness while they are in school. Right now, they're not allowed to do that. Uh, if, uh, you know, if, if, if a video game company wants to use, uh, prior to this, if they wanted to use any of the information about these players, the money went to the schools. And, and you know, and that's, frankly, it's wrong. Um, I have always said, that there is no reason why an athlete in college shouldn't be able to do endorsements, shouldn't be able to get paid if a video game company wants to use their name uh, in, on one of their uh, games or, you know, whatever. It, it gives the athletes a chance to control their own brand for better or worse. I mean, and look, and you know, we know in a lot of cases 18-year-old kids are going to do some dumb things. But 
I don't believe, you know, and we've talked about this before. I don't believe college athletes should be paid. I worked in college athletics for 25 years in Division One. I. I get it. You know, I know the schools are making some money from these kids. But at the same time, I will say this till the day I die. These kids are getting a free education. Those that are at the Division One level you get a free education. They get free room. They get free board. And 99% of the kids that play in college are getting that free education. Don't go on to play in the pros. I don't believe these kids should be getting paid. I believe that the schools are making money, absolutely. But the kids are getting something in return. They're getting that education that in some cases, you know, $50,000 a year or $40,000 a year you know, that's a $200,000 education that you're getting for free. My daughter, you know, both my daughters, my, uh, my oldest one was fortunate in that I was working at a university. She got free tuition, but she still had to pay for room and board. My other daughter went to a school, a private school, I, you know, and she, between undergrad and grad, she came out with a huge student loan debt. Huge. Do you think she would have liked to have gotten a free education even if the school was going to make some money off of her? You betcha. So 99% of these kids don't go pro. They're getting that education, and they're getting it for nothing. And so the schools should be able to profit from that because they're giving something in return. Now, having said that, these kids are not slaves. They should not be held down and and be told you can't. Uh, endorse a bank. You know, if uh, Liberty Bank here in the state of Connecticut wanted to take Paige Beckers, the new freshman star at the University of Connecticut, and make her, you know, one of their spokesmen for their bank, they should be able to do that. She should be able to get paid to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, could you set some limits on it? Yes. Like, you don't want college kids uh, endorsing DraftKings. You know, you don't want them doing anything that involves gambling or alcohol or something like that. But within reason, there's no reason why these kids shouldn't be able to make some money off of their name. They absolutely should. For a gar- car dealership, whatever. You know, and, and as Chris Murphy pointed out when he introduced this legislation, and by the way, I want to be up front, I am not a fan of Chris Murphy. I live in the state of Connecticut, and I think our two senators there are just are awful, awful. They're they all they're about is uh, um, getting their their faces on camera. Uh, Dick Blumenthal's the worst. Chris Mur- Murphy's a little less heinous than D- Richard Blumenthal, but Chris Murphy is right on this one. And he said, "Look, you know, these kids, a lot of them come from poor families. They can't even afford to put food on their table." Or or afford a pay up or or pay for a plane ticket for their parents to come watch them play. You know, maybe they sign at UConn. They're from California. They can't even pay for a plane ticket for their parents to come out and watch them play. That's wrong. They shouldn't get paid, but yes, they absolutely should be able to endorse a product, endorse a business, a car dealership, a bank, what have you. As long as it's not involving alcohol, gambling, or like Pornhub, <laughs> there's no reason why these kids shouldn't be able to do that. So, uh, you know, look, and I and uh, Lori Trahan, who is co-sponsoring this bill with Chris Murphy, is a former Division One athlete herself. 
She played Division I college volleyball, so she knows what it's all about. So I think this is going to pass. Um, you know, there's still that move to give college kids a salary. Dead set against that. I hope it never happens. And again, yes, colleges make money. But do the kids get something in return for that? You betcha. I mean, let me tell you, when I was working in Division One athletics, these kids, as I said, they already get the free room and board. They get the free tuition. They're getting meals that the average college kid doesn't get. They get special team meals. They get they eat better. I'm telling you right now, they eat better than your average college kid does. And those meals are paid for by the school, by their t- the individual team. These kids get to travel all over the country. They get to travel, uh, uh, stay in very nice hotels. Um, they get to, uh, they get a lot of perks. They get free clothing. I, I still, uh, I haven't worked um, at a university since 2010, 2011. I have a closet full of sweats, shirts, pants. Uh, I, I, I was given a couple of uh, uh, winter coats, parkas. I still have them. I mean, it just, it's, this is all on top of everything else that they get. So these kids, you know, are well taken care of. So the schools should be able to make money off of that. The fact that the football teams are making money and the basketball teams are making money, they, well, good. The kids are getting something in return. But as I said, there has to be some give and take. The kids should still, they shouldn't be treated like uh, they're not important or they're not a star. Look, Paige Becker's at UConn. She's only a freshman. She is going to be an absolute superstar in this state. She is going to have people, uh, you know, loving her to death. And there are people that would love to say, hey, you know, endorse my company. You know, we'd love to pay you, you know, whatever it is to be a spokesman for our company. Why shouldn't she be able to do that? She's a a good-looking girl. She's personable. Why not? And and why should UConn be able to, or actually it's not even UConn. It's the NCAA that sets these rules that says that you can't do that because you you ruin your amateur status if you do that, yada, yada. That's, it's just wrong. I think the NCAA leadership is coming around to it because I think they see, you know, the way things are going, and they know this is a battle they cannot win. I still think they can win the battle of giving these kids a salary and paying them. They already, by the way, these kids already get a, a stipend. That's already been passed. They get, you know, four, five, six hundred $600 a month. I mean, you know, to, it's not like they're not getting anything. These kids are, you know, getting something, but they should also be able to go out and make their own money. Just like a, a kid you know, there's kids that have to work a job to be able to afford to go to college. Maybe these kids come from a poor background, and by endorsing uh, or profiting off of their likeness and their name, maybe they can take better care of their family. Yeah, they're getting the education, but their family's still dirt poor living somewhere. They should be able to help out a little bit, or they should be able to help their parents be able to come watch them play. Uh, absolutely. So, 
I hope this passes, and, and I think it's. I think it will, and I think we're just going to see um, the NCAA slowly getting on board with this one way or the other. They're either going to be forced to, or they're going to just say, you know what, let's just do this arbitrarily and get it over with. Uh, other basketball news. Uh, number two, Baylor, the men's basketball team, has had to call off its next two games uh, because of the guidelines that the Big 12 has set up. They're not saying that they have COVID cases, but it may have to do with contact tracing with either them or the other teams that they are playing. They were supposed to play uh, TCU on Saturday and play at number nine, Oklahoma, on Wednesday. Those games are off right now. Uh, you know, look, and Baylor's one of just three undefeated teams in the country. And, you know, this is they were playing well. This is not a time you want that to happen. The same thing has happened in Michigan. We talked about that last week. They said that they were originally only going to have to pause until, uh, you know, the first week of February. Well, now we're finding that's going to be extended. They've already announced that their game on February 11th against Illinois will not be played as scheduled. And their February 14th game at Wisconsin is also in doubt. So they could find themselves not playing again until Valentine's Day, February the 14th. And that first game would be against number 19, Wisconsin. I mean, look, this is brutal. Michigan had won 13 of their 14 games this year. They have been playing incredibly well. They've already had four games postponed, and it looks like we're going to have three more. You know, this is, you know, not what they needed. And, you know, it, it's we're seeing more and more of it. The numbers are going down. The, the COVID numbers are going down across the country, but you're finding schools, whether it's whether it's an actual case on their team or not, teams are being very cautious, and they should be. We're still going to have an NCAA tournament, but it's going to be a lot like we saw in hockey and basketball last year. Teams are going to play fewer games. It's going to be more of a crapshoot. You know, look at the Boston Bruins in the NHL last year. When the season started, uh, or as the season was going along, they were the highest scoring team in the league. They were killing people. They got into the situation for seeding with the way the NFL did their bubble. And the Bruins, you know, ended up, not starting well when they restarted the season and found themselves not performing the way they expected to, not getting to the Stanley Cup, which many people thought. I mean, they had more points than anybody else in the NHL. So we're, we could see a team like Baylor that is undefeated. They get this break right now. That could take away all their momentum. They come back, maybe they lose a couple of games. Maybe Michigan loses a couple of games when they come back. So all of a sudden... You know, we've got a big jumble in the Big Ten and the Big 12, and maybe seedings go down, and the whole thing could look differently. You know, we don't know. UConn, UConn women, they play tonight. They've only played 13 games. You know, some of the teams that they are playing have played six, seven more games than they have. Now, the team they play tonight, Marquette, has had its own COVID problem, so they've only played 14 games, so both teams are about at the same level. Should be a great game, by the way. Uh, Marquette's twelve and two. The only loss they have uh, in the Big East was to Seton Hall in mid-January. Other than that, they have played exceptionally well. They're nine and one in the conference, and uh, so that should be a fun game tonight. And it's going to be interesting because we still don't know whether Kristen Williams is going to play for UConn tonight or not. 
Uh, she is still up in the air. And Aubrey Griffin, same thing. She only played two minutes in the last game. She's a little banged up. Um, so it could be that uh, UConn could have their hands full tonight. It's a 7 o'clock start, I believe. Let me double-check that. Yeah, 7 o'clock start. It's at Marquette. It's on uh, SNY if you're interested in watching it. Uh, a couple of baseball things before we get to the break, and Dan Zampano joins us at 9.30 to talk about the Super Bowl and the NFL. Uh, word has come down that the sweepstakes for Trevor Bauer, the most coveted pitcher uh, in the free agent season this year, has come down to the New York Mets and the Los Angeles Dodgers. And it is becoming kind of clear that the Mets are the front runner. And it seems to be the difference in this is that the Mets are willing to give Trevor Bauer an opt-out. So it's looking like a three-year deal. Both teams are offering him three years, but the Dodgers want it to be a flat three years. And you come, you know, you sign the contract, you come play for us. The Mets seem to be willing to give him an opt-out after the 2021 season. So he signs a three-year deal. If he decides after 2021 he wants to go back out on the free agent market, that the Mets will give him that opportunity. Dodgers not, won't. So, And by the way, uh, <laughs> they're talking about some ridiculous numbers. They're talking three years, $100 million for a guy who is going to pitch every fifth day. That's crazy money. I mean, just, you know, I, I, I never have understood this. You know, look, nobody's worth this kind of money. We know that. But giving a guy who plays every day that kind of money, to me, makes sense if you can make sense of somebody making that kind of money. Giving that kind of money to a pitcher who only performs once every fifth day and a guy who is a pitch away from Tommy John surgery. and I mean, you know, I, I don't understand. And look, Trevor Bowers is as good as they come right now. But $33 million for a guy who is going to play in 30 games during the course of the year just seems insane to me. Uh, a couple other signings yesterday, actually a trade. The Angels acquired Dexter Fowler from the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, it's kind of a minor deal. Uh, it gives the Angels a stopgap in right field. They don't really have... Uh, a plan for right field. They have a couple of young kids in the minor leagues, Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh, both really good prospects, but they're not ready yet. Fowler's 35. They can put him in right field at least for the first half of the season until those kids go down and get a little bit more time in the minors. Because don't forget, these kids didn't play minor league baseball last year, so a lot of these young prospects that you know you look at you know, when they got drafted and you say, well, they, they should be in the majors by now, they lost a year. So Fowler, who only played in 27 or 23 games last season for St. Louis, he was in St. Louis for four years, but only hit 233, four homers, 15 runs batted in in 23 games, um, will become the Angels right fielder at least for half the season. And the Angels are getting him cheap. He's only $1.75 million. Wouldn't we all like to work that cheap? Uh, and uh, all the uh, Angels had to give up was uh, either cash or a player to be named later. So the you know who it will be, I might depend on how well Fowler plays. But uh, so that move was made yesterday. Eddie Rosario finalized his contract with the Cleveland Indians. Rosario, who had played um, his 
six years with the Minnesota Twins, helping them win back-to-back AL Central titles, uh, was let go. They declined the option for this year. So Rosario passed his physical yesterday, and uh, he gets a one-year, $8 million contract uh, with the Cleveland Indians. If you're the Indians, and if you're an Indian fan, you have to be happy with this. Look, Rosario's a good player. He's a great player, great defensive outfielder. He has struggled a little bit at the plate lately, but in 2019, he had a career-high 32 home runs, drove in 109 runs. Uh, and and by the way, he wore out Cleveland pitching, so it's a good thing for them. But uh, uh, he's a, they don't have a lot of outfield depth in Cleveland. Rosario can play all three outfield positions, so a great move for them. And if you're the Indians, look, you traded away Francisco Lindor. You traded away Carlos Carrasco. Um, now you're reinvesting some of that $32 million that you traded away uh, by signing Rosario, and it's a, a position that is – much needed in Cleveland. Uh, another signing yesterday, Tommy Lastella, uh, versatile infielder, guy who can hit you, you know, 25, 30 home runs a year, signed a three-year contract with the San Francisco Giants yesterday, three years, $18.75 million. Uh, primarily a second baseman in his career. He played last year in the 60-game season. He played 33 games last year um, for Oakland at second, he played 10 at first, 6 at third, and 9 as a DH. So he can play all around the infield. Um, his 370 on base percentage was one of the uh, best in the American League last year. Uh, he only struck out 12 times and 228 plate appearances. So uh, a good signing by San Francisco. And by the way, this is the first three-year contract that the Giants have given out since 2018. When uh, Farhan Zaidi became the general manager of the Giants, they didn't. They stopped giving out longer-term contracts. So, uh, I like this signing. I like Tommy Lastella a lot. You know, hopefully he's able to stay healthy. And uh, the Giants need a lot more than him. But that is a solid signing by San Francisco. It's 28 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dan Zampano uh, will join us. An interview that we taped last night, but he'll join us to talk the uh, Super Bowl. When we come back, you're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. And as we are every Friday, although our time is getting short, we are glad to be joined by Dan Zampano to preview the Super Bowl. Dan, how are you, my friend? I am so excited, Gene. It is finally upon us. We get the kid versus the goat. We get Mahomes versus Brady. Live in Tampa, what could be sweeter than this? It is the moment that all of America has been waiting for. Well, the only thing that could be sweeter, I guess, it would be if you were a New England Patriots fan and you found out that they traded for Deshaun Watson. That's probably the only <laughs> thing that could be sweeter. So I want before we get to this week's game, let's talk about the quarterback shuffle a little bit. And, of course, we have to start with the swapping of starting quarterbacks. Can has that ever happened before? I'm trying to remember. Jared Goff goes to Detroit. Matthew Stafford goes from Detroit to the Rams. I can't remember two starting quarterbacks ever getting swapped for each other like that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of it myself, and and, and I guess you could say the Eli Philip Rivers thing, but it really doesn't compare. No, I mean it's, their, it's, their careers hadn't started. Right, their careers hadn't started. Little did we know. I mean, that ended up being a huge trade, but you know, in this one. It's interesting. A lot of people looked at the trade originally and were like, wow, the Rams gave up a haul. Like, you know, the Lions got a oh. steal for Matt Stafford. And, 
you know, the Rams did give up a lot. They had to because nobody's going to take that contract without getting an extra first round pick. I'll tell you that right, right now. Yep, yep. So, so the issue, the issue though, I think for the Lions is that the Lions are still the Lions, and Jared Goff was gotten <laughs> rid of for a very specific reason. Yeah. Uh, if that's what Dan Campbell defines biting off kneecaps as, then we have like a, a differentiary of opinion about how intense this guy actually is. Right. Because this is really, it's kind of it's a great trade for the Lions because they're able to get draft capital. I don't know if it's a great trade because of the quarterback. If you're right. going to judge the two quarterbacks against each other, like the Rams made out. Oh, I they made so, out yeah. in the in, in the quarterback department at least. Matt Stafford has been stuck in lousy, stinking Detroit for 14 years, and he finally gets a coach that is going to be able to really utilize his talents and strengths and his toughness uh, in L.A. I think the Rams are a real threat to win the Super Bowl. To be quite honest with you, I, I think they're a threat. I wouldn't say they're a favorite, but I think they're a real threat to get there. And and this bolsters their team, I think, tremendously. Yeah, I agree. Um... How about the – and I don't know whether it's true, but the rumor is there was only one team on his no-trade list, Matt Stafford, and it mm. was the New England Patriots. Uh, how much stock do you put in that? Uh, I uh, Listen, if, if they said that, then, you know, I, I assume that he's telling the truth. Uh, I can imagine that Matt Patricia coming back was not a favorable thing yep. that Stafford looked at and saw. But then again, you know, maybe I'll take the Teddy Bruschi approach and say that he's not tough enough to play in New England. So <laughs> that, that's basically, you know, oh, I don't want to go to New England. I, why? Like, they literally have, like, a perfect setup here for you. If the Patriots, all the Patriots have to do, and they're one of the few teams that has the amount of cap space to do it, is to get these wide receivers and tight end situations. Right. And, and, and that's really what they have to do. Now, I think the Patriots were smart because, in retrospect, the asking price was clearly too high right. for, for them. They need to rebuild the roster in a lot of ways. So, you know what? I mean, I know that I, I heard really in that whole trade situation that the Panthers were locked in. Like, that trade was ready to go uh, between the Lions and the Panthers, and the Rams swept in at the last minute. Those are what I'm hearing and reading in the tea leaves and some of the the sourcing that was going on afterwards. So it was very, like, there was a lot of teams involved in this thing, but the Rams come out smelling like a rose. Well, you know, and it's also the thing with, you know, him not wanting to go to the Patriots. It's also, uh, like, the in thing now to slam Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. I mean, look at what Danny Amendola did on the Colin Cowherd show the other day. I mean, you know, there's no reason. You know, Amendola basically was, you know, trashing, uh, Bill Belichick's way of doing things, basically saying he's a good coach, but he's a lousy GM. And, you know, I had to sit across from him and try to negotiate a, a contract. And he said that, uh, you know, so he didn't have a lot of great things to say about Belichick. And it, But it just seems to be because Brady has had that success, everybody's like, see, see, it's all Brady. It, it, it's so overblown. Like, it, and, and really, it's not just them two. Like, I think people don't understand this. It's right. It's not just Brady and it's not just Belichick. There's another guy to that piece too. That's Robert Kraft. Right. Like they, they all three of them combined to make one giant monster that that wrecked the entire NFL for 20 years. Like <laughs> it was the perfect storm. Yeah. And and one without the other. People make comparisons here and there. I love Danny Amendola, and and he does have a point that Bill certainly has been a better coach and he has been a GM. But to come out and say stuff like that, like. 
it's very Danny Amendola. If if you read the trash tabloids about Danny Amendola and and the stuff he says about ex girlfriends and all this crazy stuff, like <laughs> I, this does not surprise you right. at all. So to me, I, I think it was, I think it was a little, a little overblown in the sense that that Danny Amendola was still let's call it butthurt for a lack of a better word about this whole situation. So the story in the Boston Globe that came out yesterday. Uh, was uh, throwing out the name of Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, with, with his uh, thoughts about potentially going to New England. He had said before he didn't really want to go there, and now he's like, you know, uh, you know, I can't be picky. He said, he, he said, I love Matt Stafford. He knew he didn't want to go there. He says, but I can't afford to be as picky as Matt Stafford. You know, but let me ask you this, you know, joking around it, yeah, of course he could make the, the rounds of the whole AFC East, but – if you dra- if you're going to draft a young quarterback, and let's say it's Mac Jones, let's say Mac Jones is available for the Patriots, mm-hmm. would it be a good idea to hire a, to to sign a guy like Fitzpatrick to be your bridge to Mac Jones, or are you better off using Cam Newton again as a bridge to Mac Jones? Let's not put cam newton at all into this equation just that, that the would question. be that would be that would be my first order of business in, in that in that department my second thing is ryan fitzpatrick i think would be an interesting case he finishes afc east tour but um i think that you kind of have that guy already in brian hoyer don't you I yeah mean, you kind of teach do. the yeah. to teach the offense like if, if fitzpatrick's gonna ride the bench like would I rather have Brian Hoyer to ride the bench and actually a guy who knows the offense or Ryan Fitzpatrick? Like I get maybe if, if the kid comes in and so let's say it's Mac Jones, like if he comes in, he starts and, and you know, he doesn't perform well, you need a quarterback there. Then Ryan Fitzpatrick is clearly a better option than Brian Hoyer, but uh, you still have Jared Stidham too. So where do you go with him? I mean, is your quarterback room, Mac Jones, Ryan Hoyer, Jared Stidham? I mean, that's a heck of a quarterback room. I mean, you have to look. You have to look far and wide to find a worse quarterback room than that. At this right. Point. So, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's it's not much better than the one we have this year. So, to me, I do think the Patriots are going to consider quarterback. There's no question about it. But I think it honestly, like, is uh, Bill needs to understand something this year, is that they have the cap space to do it. Is there cannot be any more piecemealing for the Patriots when it comes to their quarterback. If they want a quarterback, specific one, for the right price, go get him. Go get him. Yeah. Whether that's whether that's you know Mac Jones or whoever they want to draft, or whether that's maybe and to me it could be sounding like Jimmy Garoppolo, because like at at the end of the day, Matt Stafford was probably the best target out there right now. Jimmy Garoppolo is probably and and from what I'm reading in the underworld online like i think jimmy garoppolo is very available now you're hearing rumors about guys like Derek carr and kirk cousins and 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 guys like this like i think this whole stafford thing is gonna really start a snowball effect of teams really evaluating their quarterbacks see i was i i have to be honest with you i've been kind of holding out hope and maybe maybe it's not good hope i've been kind of holding out hope that the patriots would call the eagles I just don't know. I don't. I don't know if they if they would be able to to provide that. Like the Eagles are going to have to give up a, a draft picks. So they're going to have to pull a golf trade. Right. They're going to have to basically give up draft picks to get that contract. Well, that's yeah, that, that's a lot of contract that they are right. saddled with for a guy that's obviously your bench guy. Now you would think they might be willing to do that. And what was but what was the reasoning for 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 firing Peterson? 
I mean, if you're just going to let Wentz go, well, you know what yeah, I mean? There's, yeah. yeah. yeah good so, point. so I think Wentz, they, I think they want to see what they have with Wentz and Sirianni and, and go from there. And if Hertz beats them out, then, then God bless them. But the Patriots are going to have options. No question. Um, now word out of Houston that, you know, regardless of what everybody has been reading, the new general manager says, we're not trading Deshaun Watson. Now, that sets up a very interesting thing because if Deshaun Watson is indeed insisting on being traded and the new GM says we're not doing it, is that setting up? That would Deshaun Watson consider sitting out if he doesn't get the trade? Can you see that? I don't know. This is going to be an interesting matchup because it's basically, you know, to me, I think Nick Casario needs to take control of the situation here. Like, he's walking into a fire. Store. Sounds like he's and trying been, to. We've been, we've really, I mean, th- this was not necessarily, like, this, I don't envy his job. Let's put it that way. Like, I do not envy him. So, so for Watson, you know, there was a report that a league source did say that Watson may have to hold out for the entire season. And, and I don't, if, if he, if he really doesn't want to play for Houston, but, I just don't think Houston would let that fly. Like I, I think at at some point these two parties got to sit down and just talk right. and figure out what the actual issues are and what they can come to a resolve. I mean, to me right now, the the likelihood that Watson gets moved, I'd say it's probably probably around ten to twenty percent. Mm-hmm. But I, if if those talks do not happen, you're going to hear it a lot more once the league year starts. March, April, May comes around. The draft is coming around. I guarantee the teams are going to start to be like, all right, what's the inquiry price? I mean, doesn't this make so much sense, though, for the New York Jets to just give up a million draft picks for him? Like, well, it's, it's lined up for that's that. The one, right. It's yeah. the one team that I know would just mortgage their entire future for this guy. And, and I could just see it. I could just see that happening. So we'll see. It makes me think about the trade that uh... – the Minnesota Vikings made with yeah. the Dallas Cowboys uh, for uh, uh, what's his name, the running back, Herschel Walker. Walker. Yeah, that's I could see the Jets doing something like that. Yeah, I, I agree. But you know what? And I think part of the problem with this whole Deshaun Watson thing is part of the problem in society today, Dan. Everything is getting done on social media. Everything's yeah. getting done on the press. People aren't sitting down and actually talking to each other anymore. It's like. You know, the, the NFL insiders and the Major League Baseball insiders, they're like the ones that are driving the bus these days, and there just seems to be something wrong with that. It's it's the agents. The agents are telling these guys, like, they, they have to report. The journalists are going to have to report on what they hear. Right. And the, and if the agents is going to fill him with information, the reporter is going to report that information. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so what Watson's team is doing is actually really smart. They're drawing up attention to this whole thing and causing the Texans to kind of feel squirmy. The Texans got to stay strong here and be like, look, you're a player here. Like, I, like we understand, like, we want you to stay here. We want you to be our quarterback. But, like, to say that, like, because you won't play because you didn't get a chance to pick the coach or pick the GM, I, that just, it, like, what does that tell you the rest of your team? Right. It tells the rest of your team that he's above the rest of the team. Yeah. He's in the executive office. And we just went through this whole thing in New England and that look how that ended. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, like yeah. there's, you know, Brady didn't get what he wanted. It was time, you know, and he, and he put it in. There's no question. Right. So we got to see, we got to see how much clout Watson really has. All right. 
Let's get to it. Let's get to the Please, game. Please, let's get to the big one, the game that matters. So we almost, uh, you know, I, I woke up this morning and I almost spit my coffee out and I'm thinking maybe we're not going to have a Super Bowl when you <laughs> suddenly hear that the Chiefs barber test positive for the coronavirus and you're like, if this Super Bowl gets postponed because of a haircut, it would be the it would that would be the greatest thing ever. I mean, but uh, fortunately, it doesn't sound like it. the guy. But I guess the guy found out in the middle of cutting somebody's hair that he tested positive, and he just left. Yeah. And he just left. And they showed a picture of it on the Today Show this morning. I can't remember who it was, but it was one of the offensive linemen was getting his hair cut, getting his hair shaved. Half his head was cut. The other half still had hair because the guy just left the building Gosh. when he found out. But it's like it's like what do we got? Like we got a barber. We got to get rid of the acupuncturist. Get rid of the masseuse. Like oh, get rid of everybody. Like unreal. like let's get the game played, please. Like this is the last game. We haven't had any cancellations of games. Like please, for the love of God, this is vastly the most important game of your life. Don't screw it up. All right, before we get to talking about the two quarterbacks, because that's all everybody is talking about for the most part, if if you had to – let's set the quarterbacks aside. Let's pretend that mm-hmm. they're the same. They're not, but let's pretend they're the same. If you had to pick two guys on either side of the football and said these two guys for Kansas City, these two guys for Tampa Bay, these guys are going to be the difference makers. They're going to be the ones that we need to watch – who would they be? That's an easy question. The answers to the Chiefs is clearly, and it's not even close, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Those are the two biggest guys, and th- those guys destroyed the Bucks last time out. Do you realize that in the last game that they played back in Week 12, that Mahomes, when he targeted those guys, just Kelsey and Hill, he was 21 of 23 or 351 yards. Holy smokes. That was 80% of his yardage. I mean, it was insane. Wow. Yeah. Those are the two most important guys. Okay. And then, to me, the honestly, outside of Tom Brady, if the Bucks win this game, the MVP of this game will might be a co-MVP, and it'll be Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul. Okay. Those guys are the clear most important guys on the field because if the Chiefs or if the Bucks can get four or five sacks on Patrick Mahomes and make this a nightmare game for him, that's the only way they're going to win this game. They cannot get in a in a in a in a, uh, in a shootout with these guys, especially knowing that the left tackle and the right tackle are both out. So you know, to me, you have to take advantage of that. And if the Bucks are going to win this game, they're going to have to do exactly what the Giants did to the Patriots years ago, right? I mean, get to him with four rushers because they will not be able to blitz him. Mahomes is deadly when they when he is blitzed in the NFL. He's the best quarterback efficiency rating in the NFL against the blitz. They have to get to him with four. What does Kansas City have to do defensively? And I and I by the way I agree with you that that those two that that the tight end and 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 Hill are are certainly the most important players. But defensively, what does Kansas City have to do to contain that that Tampa Bay offense? they have to listen to their coach. What their coach says, Steve Spagnola is the key to this game. Steve Spagnola is the wild card for the Chiefs. He is a very unpredictable guy. Mm-hmm. He's known for that, and he's also known for taking shots. And by taking shots, I mean Steve Spagnola wants to create one negative play per drive because if he can do exactly what happened to the Bucks last week, 
the Bucks would run the ball on first and second down, and they'd have third and longs. And they'd convert them against the Packers. Okay. What the Chiefs are one of the best third and long teams in the league as far as as far as defense is concerned. They are very good at not giving those up. Spagnola wants one negative play per drive because that's going to create a situation where the Bucks are going to have to get third and longs, and that is going to be a bad spot to sit in, sit in there. The other thing too is that they have to um, they have to stop short yarded situations. I feel like the Bucks in this game, if they are in no man's land between the fifty and the thirty five, mm-hmm. I feel like they're going to go for it. If it's a fourth down and four, fourth down and three, you have to score on every single drive to beat this team. And uh, look. Fourth downs are the most critical down in this game. I think that it's the most critical down in this game will be fourth downs because you're going to see a lot of fourth down uh, attempts in this game. Really? Yeah. Uh, So the other question that everybody has is Antonio Brown. Do you think he plays this week? I think you cut him loose. You absolutely cut him loose. You, You have to. What are you saving him for? You know, I mean, let him play. I mean, if he can go out there, he can go out there. If he can't, then then he sits and you get Scotty Miller out there. There's nothing left to play for, fellas. <laughs> this is the season right here. No more meetings, no more practices. This is it. So cut it loose, baby. Let's go. You know, the other thing I saw that was interesting, it was a great story talking about a couple of uh, coaches uh, on Tampa Bay that, that uh, had worked with other great quarterbacks in the past mm. and they were talking about you know when they were going to get Tom Brady and there was concern about Tom Brady's arm strength and could he still throw the ball down the field what I didn't realize is that Tom Brady actually led the NFL this year in receptions of 20 yards or more yeah I, you know what and I had no idea that that was the case and I think that was a stunning uh, that was a stunning thing to me and I think it, it speaks a lot to to maybe why Tampa had the success that they did because because maybe a lot of other teams didn't think he could throw the ball deep either. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, I, I don't know why they would. I mean, it's it's so crazy. I mean, he's the only guy that we've ever really seen that is reverse engineering time. I mean, remember <laughs> remember when Tom versus Time came out? Yep. Tom versus Time came out in 2018. Like, and he's winning still. Still. Like, yeah. you know, like so that's so crazy, but you know, it's it's so funny you mentioned those. There's some really great stories about the Bucks coaches, and in particular, Tom Moore. I don't know if you've seen this story. He's 82 years yes, old yes. and coaching in yes. this game. He was a graduate assistant at the University of Iowa in 1960. <laughs> You're and that's born. how long – there you go. Literally, that's how long he's been coaching. And he's coached great quarterbacks. Peyton Manning, obviously, was the big one. 13 years with Peyton Manning. Uh, and then Bruce Arians, too. I mean, his journey is unbelievable. How he has got kicked out of school and in high school and almost got kicked out in college and 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 has, has groomed some great quarterbacks, including Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Carson Palmer, and now Tom Brady. Like it's 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 an ama- amazing couple of stories of those of that Bucks coaching staff. Um so when we when we imagine when we put that put it down to the two quarterbacks. I mean, yeah. look, they're very different. I mean, in the way that they approach the game. Obviously, you know, Mahomes is so much younger and there's more athleticism. He, although Mahomes is more athletic now than Tom Brady ever was in his entire life. Right. I mean, there's no question about it. So they approach the game completely differently. You could make a case and, and that maybe Patrick Mahomes' approach to the game is part of the reason why 
he gets hurt because he is reckless with his body. And, you know, it's because that's part of his game. And maybe Tom Brady has stayed healthy for so long because he can't run the football very well. And But maybe Mahomes in some ways, what I'm trying to get to is maybe in some ways Mahomes is his own worst enemy. I could see where you're going with that. I think Brady understands his limitations better than Mahomes. Does. Yeah, that. Well, I, I guess that's that's. I, there you go. That's what it is. I, I think that's what I think that's what it's at now. As far as that returns to in this game, I don't care what Mahomes does in this game. I mean, he he can do whatever he wants in this game. He's got to again. This is a game where you cut it loose. And and last year, you know, they only had ten points in the first three quarters of that game yep. against San Francisco. I mean, right. it was a slog. It was a slog for their offense. And they the thing about this game that's so critical is that and and I was listening to Michael Lombardi talk about this this week and he made a great point. He said time of possession does not matter in this game. What matters is how many drives you're gonna have in this game. The yeah. reason time of possession doesn't matter is because the Chiefs know how to win without any time. Do you yeah. realize that in the 2018 AFC Championship game, that game, that classic game that I was at, uh, the Chiefs had the ball for three minutes and 13 seconds in the fourth quarter, and scored 24 points in the game. Wow! In that in that in, that in, quarter. The, in the quarter. Wow! Insane. Yeah. They they did it again this year against uh, Carolina. Carolina had the ball for 38 minutes, and the Chiefs <laughs> scored 33 points. Like it was yeah. insane. It yeah. doesn't matter time of possession. What matters is what you do with the possession. They cannot punt in this game. If they punt more than three three times, they're not winning this game. Kansas City, you're saying? No, or, or Tampa. 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 Tampa's not winning this game if they punt more than three times. Like that's that's not going to happen. Can't Tampa Bay I'm writing, needs to I'm score. writing that down, by the way. Yeah, please do because <laughs> because Tampa needs to score in every single quarter in order to win this game. Every single quarter they got to win it. They got to win it, and they got to win it in the fourth quarter. Because and the other thing too is that they cannot play from behind, they just right. can't do it. Like it, it, it's just going to be too much. They got down seventeen nothing last time they played them, and and they almost came back and won. Right, it was a three point game. So there's so many critical things. I think fourth downs, like I said, are going to be are going to be precious. The punts are going to be precious. That you're going to see a lot more fourth downs. We might see somebody go for two. I think that that might be a big thing if there gets to be a weird score. Extra points are going to matter in this game a ton. So there's so many things that the Bucks need to do because guess what? They're playing a team right now. If you take away that Chargers game at the end of the year where they rested everybody, right. the Chiefs are 25-1 and one in yeah. their last 26 games. It's ridiculous. I, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. This is the hardest game they'll play. They can go on the road at Washington, on the road at New Orleans, on the road in Green Bay. Can they get it here at home? This is their toughest opponent to play in this entire run. We're going to see. Well, and the other part of it is is what I guess the other thing that the Bucks cannot have is what they had last week or it was the or two weeks ago was, you know, Tom Brady throwing three interceptions. You know, yeah. whether and, and again, like you said when when we talked about it, you know, let's let's just put it call it what it was. Tom Brady made mistakes. It wasn't the great defense, but Tom Brady can't make those kind of mistakes this week. The thing I will say about those interceptions is that they were deep into Green Bay territory. So yeah. they did not kill them. But like I said, if you give Mahomes the ball at the one yard line, like it's not going to matter. He can get down to the fifty very quickly. Yep. You know what I mean. Yep. So, like, it you need to make sure you need to make sure that Kansas City is punching two or three or four times in the game. 
and Tampa cannot do that. Like Tampa has to match them score for score and then have to rely on that defensive line to get some stops if they want to win this game at all. Kansas City should win this game. I mean, they absolutely should win this game. If you look at just the matchup, Kansas City should win this game probably in my eyes. Like if Kansas City does win the game, I think they'll win it by at least 10 points. Okay. You know what I mean? Uh, if if the Bucks win the game, it'll be a very close game. So just one of these, you know, it, a lot of the, they've been throwing out all these crazy stats this week about, you know, what Brady yeah. versus Mahomes. And this is the one that just made me laugh out loud. Uh, Bruce Feldman had this, and he said that when Tom Brady played and won his first Super Bowl in 2002, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen were both in kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just it, it's it's it boggles the mind. Uh, and, and here's another one. How about this? Babe Ruth played in 10 World Series. He won seven of them. Tom Brady's going to his 10th Super Bowl. Here we go. And he's looking for number seven right there. So which, I always look for these the, the, the symmetry, the symmetry. It, it's definitely an interesting angle to look at. My favorite one is uh, is that Patrick Mahomes' dad is 50, 50. years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, and know. Tom is 43. And how about, how about Tom saying this week he's, he's open to playing past 45? Oh my! It, it brought music to my ears. The more, <laughs> the more that he says that, the it is such music to my ears because people get so upset. They're like, when is this going to end? This guy, like, it's so annoying. Like, just end it already. And he's just gonna, he's hey, just gonna break barriers, man. This isn't, this isn't Joe Namath at the end of his career. This isn't what you know Johnny Unitas looked like at the end of his career. You know, this isn't some guy trying to hang on. He's still one of the four or five best quarterbacks in the NFL at forty three. And so, why should he quit? I can't imagine that. I, 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 I just don't think that we're ever going to see anything like this ever again. A guy playing at that level for this long is like. It's incredible. It really is. All right, so you have already kind of said that Kansas City should win this game, Dan Zampano. Will Kansas City actually win this game? Well, I look back at it on this. You know, I I, I say this to myself. I, I just look back at, like, history. And I remember reading the Dynasty book, the Jeff Benedict book. I'm actually almost done with it. And in the book, there's a portion at Super Bowl 51 where the Patriots are playing the Falcons. And, and the Pats go down 28-3. to three. And and Robert Kraft looks at Jonathan Kraft and he says, do you think Tom's given up? And and Jonathan Kraft colorfully says, no blank and way. <laughs> right. and, and Robert looks back at him and he says, do you think we have a chance to win? Jonathan looks back at him and says, it's not probable, but it's possible. And as soon as they got the ball down 28-20 with three minutes to go, Jonathan looked at him and said, probable. <laughs> I will never count that man out right, of anything. Right. Ever. I'll never count him out of anything. Last year, they played a quarterback that couldn't get it done in the fourth quarter. This year, they're playing a quarterback. It's the greatest of all time. I'll take the Bucks. Bucks will win. They'll upset Ooh. the Chiefs. Let's do it. Let's say 31-30. Bucks get the win. Wow. How about that? Well, you know what, and I think that you know the majority of the fans, even the fans that were mad at Brady when he left New England, it's been f kind of fun to watch. You've seen people come around, you know, that they've come yeah. around to to not being as angry, and I think some of that is because of the way Brady has handled this. He has been very careful 
about what he has said. He has been very classy about what he has said about his time and leaving New England. And I think the New England, I think most New England fans are behind him now. Anybody in New England, if you're listening and you're in Boston, you're a Boston sports radio person, get the dump out of your pants and root for this guy. <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Like, it's insane. Like, what he gave to this city, like, and this region, like, I mean, it'll never be duplicated. Like, it, it, he has he surpassed, like, there are people that say he surpassed Ted Williams and Larry Bird. Like, it really is that big. Yeah. And, and if you're not rooting for that and not thankful for that, and Gronkowski, I get, like, the contract things and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Like, Gronkowski was awesome. He was just a big meathead, and he was perfect for Boston. <laughs> and, it, and it was great. If this man wins his seventh Super Bowl, it's over. Like, it's it's case and close. It's done with, like, he's going to be above Michael Jordan. Like, it, it's it's crazy. I think you should enjoy this. Let it sink in and remember those good old days because now you got something back to root for. You have something to root for. As a Patriots fan, I cannot be more happy to have skin in the game right. because it's about Tom Brady. Well... I uh, I have to say I I hope that uh, I you know what Dan I and I don't mean to be mean, but mm. I ho I hope you're right for once. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> uh, so uh, I I appreciate you coming on all season. We're going to have you on again Monday after the game is over, and we're not going to wait till Friday. We'll break it down on Monday morning, and uh, we'll I'll, I will look forward to that because. Uh, I think either way, I don't. I really think this is going to be a good game, regardless of which way it goes. I don't think anybody blow. I. I mean, if somebody's going to, it's going to be the Chiefs that would blow the Bucks out. But I don't see that happen. I think it's going to be a good game. Maybe that's wishful thinking, but I really think it's going to be a good game. Well, we're saying this now. Watch the Bucks just blow doors on this team. I mean, one by like twenty points. Like that, everybody's nobody's thinking that, and that and that Nobody. could be the. Whole you're right. Thing. I think you're I right. I mean, that that really could be. Gene, I am so. Honored to have been on your show. I can't wait to come back on Monday and talk about this game. Looking forward to it, my friend. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the weekend, and we'll talk to you on Monday. All right. God bless you. Dan Zampano here on Sports Country Radio.